The text that you are about to hear is by Charles Olavois. To find out more about this Canadian author and his previous books, visit www.charlesolevois.com. This episode is from Goodbye Philippines, a collection of short stories. The book are a fictional construction of exchanges between the author and people living in the Philippines, overseas workers, and Filipino expats. Goodbye Philippines, a podcast collection of short stories by Charles O. Levois. Through Facebook conversations, George, the narrator of Goodbye Philippines, gets glimpses of Filipino lives in the Philippines and among expatriates and overseas foreign workers. As he discovers the sufferings of the younger generation, he is often reminded of the disparity between the deprivations and emotional angst of his youth. On one trip to the Philippines, he is hospitalized in delirium and dependent on local care until he is well enough to fly home. On his return, he shuts everyone out, including Lando, the youth in the Philippines whose college education he paid for. After a long silence, his protege reaches out and the two briefly reunite online. The bond between them is poignant and Lando's longing for a father's substitute is palpable. Will George choose to pull away? Read by Warren Carey and music by Angelico Dayo, executive producer Charles O. Lavoie. Chapter 13 The Purpose of Life, or I Want to Know. The following is an abridged story from Goodbye, Philippines. In July of 2018, George acquired a new Facebook friend. Jerry Patterson, who was born in Victoria on Vancouver Island. They met at a wedding that took place on a rocky point along Victoria's scenic Dallas Road. The two dozen guests could see the snowy peaks of the Olympic Mountains in the background. The photographer, an equipment bag slung over her shoulder and an expensive camera in her hands, moved quietly through the crowd, seeking to capture the perfect expression of love between the bride and groom. The man standing next to George wore an enormous baseball cap that flattened his ears. The man pointed at the groom and said, I'm his younger brother. Oh, I'm his next-door neighbor, George replied, reaching out for a handshake. I'm George. What's your name? Jerry. He said he worked as a cook in an expensive restaurant, then added, If you like good food, you should come. Did you train in town? George asked. I learned on my own. Quite short and skinny, the thirty-ish man looked like a child wearing extra-large clothes borrowed from his father, George thought. My brother and I don't see each other often, Jerry remarked. You know how it is, right? As the guests headed downtown for the wedding lunch, George handed Jerry a business card with his Facebook account name on it. Are you on Facebook? he asked. Yep. Send me a friend request. Later that day, George received a friend request from Jerry, which he immediately accepted. In his profile photo, Jerry wore another outsized baseball cap. George quickly scanned his timeline. The posts consisted mainly of music links. On one heavy metal music clip, there was a shot of an obese man with his trousers down, 
defecating in a public park. In the next one, a child watched a woman in a bikini and red high heels singing and dancing on a stage. At the end of the clip, the child is an old man in a wheelchair with the woman in the red high heels pushing his chair. George typed in the comment box, Amazing content. Jerry's reacted immediately. You like it? A few minutes later, Jerry sent a music clip via private messenger. A soldier's memories, the clip from Saigon, was as forceful and disturbing as the videos on Jerry's timeline. George watched with interest. He could feel Jerry's pain and outrage. They were brother slaves on a galley. Day after day, like a biblical prophet, Jerry expressed himself through metaphors. George wanted to decipher what the guy was about. One day, in reaction to his older brother Mike chastising him on Facebook for posting negative things about his own family, Jerry responded, I'm a lone ranger. His brother Mike counteracted with, After everything my wife and I did for you, we arranged a party for your birthday, we invited you to a barbecue, a pointed exchange followed between the two siblings. In reply to Mike's question, How can you say you have no family? Jerry repeated, I'm a lone ranger. Because they were next-door neighbors, George and Jerry's brother would frequently run into each other and stop for a chat. One day, Mike confided, There is so much anger in my brother, I don't know where it comes from. He's an interesting guy, George replied. You really think so? Mike asked. He seemed puzzled. His expression changed to sadness as he said, I don't understand. We were loved as children. I like him, George interjected. He tags you, Mike responded with a laugh. I tag him too, George replied. But he didn't laugh. George could relate to Jerry's unspoken hell, since he himself had been there. He still remembered his own rage, a fire that no wet blanket could extinguish, His loving parents, the actors on TV, and the models in glossy magazine photos were all saying, happiness exists. As a child and a teen, and even in his 20s, George didn't feel what he was supposed to feel. There were monsters inside him, and nobody could tell him why he had them. Feverish, and in a cold sweat at night, he would resurrect himself the next morning as an angel. His head down, he kept a low profile. Then the dark hours would come again, and with them... The nightmares. He wanted to blow himself up and everyone and everything else too. Out there, there was someone playing tricks on humans. George, back at his desk after his conversation with Mike, watched another clip that Jerry had shared on his timeline. With his left hand constantly stroking his crotch, a black man was singing, I love my Coco. Seeing that Jerry was online, George wrote in the comment box, Why do you like black music? In reply, Jerry forwarded a music video clip through Messenger. A man was missing his mom's cooking. As a child, he used to put on his best clothes to go to Sunday Mass. George wanted to ask, What is it that you like about black rappers' music? Is it the pain? But he didn't. He knew by now that Jerry never replied to direct questions. After the clip, Jerry messaged, My brother and his wife don't understand me. He followed that with, I am good, I don't hurt anyone. In George's view, Jerry, to the dismay of his family, was shouting, 
Reality sucks. This was the pain of being alive, a pain that the poet and philosopher Lucretius had described so well a thousand years earlier. The child is like a sailor cast up by the sea, lying naked on the shore, unable to speak, helpless when first it comes to the light of day, having a life of so many ills before it. Lucretius, De Natura Rerum, Book 5. George remained silent. He was crying. Every time he needed a break from the quiet capital city of Victoria, George would go to Vancouver. In the city's downtown east side, he watched men and women moving chaotically, like chickens with their heads cut off. There were dozens and dozens of them in the middle of the streets, on the sidewalks, and in back alleys and parks. One after another, they exposed their loneliness and despair to passers-by, who did their best to ignore them. The imagery from rap music that Jerry constantly downloaded from YouTube was alive and well on Hastings and Powell Streets, with no special effects to blunt the reality. In full display, in a wheelchair, a middle-aged man with an amputated leg, what was left of the amputated leg was uncovered, with an emaciated male companion pushing the wheelchair from behind, a skinny female body with tremors and grimacing, a South Asian guy as handsome as a Bollywood star, crouched two feet away from the flow of pedestrians, his feces in a pile under him and wiping himself. Elsewhere, a sunburned man sang and danced, his eyes turned skyward, zigzagging from the sidewalk to the other. In the early morning of the next day, Vancouver City staff with a fork came out to clean the sidewalks, pitching pieces of cardboard, styrofoam containers, and plastic bags into a truck. Lying under an oversized umbrella, a man and a woman stared blankly. They had nowhere to go, except deeper into themselves. In this district of Vancouver, wounds were pointed at the passing public, but pedestrians and travelers waiting for the number 20 streetcar simply turned their heads and busied themselves with their cell phones or were lost in their own thoughts. In the downtown east side, the mass of humanity that had been crying out since time immemorial poked you. Their blood was real, not virtual. One day, Matteo, who was George's favorite Facebook friend because he was always challenging him and at times even a bit aggressive, wrote, Teach me how not to suffer. The small dancing dot suddenly disappeared thanks to a poor internet connection. While he waited, and for the sake of filling the void, George typed, All my life, I've tried to solve riddles and mysteries. I failed. A message from Matteo finally came in. You should write a philosophy book. Are you serious? Why not, sir? Your turmoil is normal and natural for someone of your age. Mine is not. <laughs> Matteo then suggested a number of topics. Pain and beauty. Relationships and emotions. Stop, George said aloud. He typed, You expect me to write sensibly about what has been haunting humans for centuries? He laughed as he wrote, And still is. How do you build and destroy a being? Matteo asked. He followed with, what allows someone to look deeper on the disparities of life 
and find hope beyond the clouds of happiness and despair. Talk to your father, young man. I am here, Mateo responded. You're in Laguna, and your father lives in the province of Iloilo, George interjected. I know. Your book could be a discussion between a philosopher, father, and his disciple. (laughs) The medical lab guy didn't want abstract platitudes. He was simply asking, how can one be happy? For the past couple of months, George had been experiencing headaches that would wake him up at night, but he refused to consult a specialist. He was afraid of hearing the truth about those daily headaches. In reaction to Matteo's naive invitation to write about life's purpose and meaning, he typed, Do you have any idea where my questions to you come from? I'm trying to make sense of all that exists before saying goodbye to it. He said the words aloud as he typed, The message sent, feeling suddenly empty. He logged out. A few days later, Matteo waved at George on Facebook, and George waved back. How are you, Professor? Stop calling me names. (laughs) George replied, How are you? I am sick. What's wrong, Matteo? Life. (laughs) Tell me what's wrong. How can I be perfect? Matteo asked. He followed with, No evil, all good. I need your help. Once again, overwhelmed by the medical tech's candor, George didn't know what to do. I don't see through walls and roofs, he wrote, trying to lighten the serious tone. The clock on his screen's toolbar indicated 6.30 a.m. He was still on his first cup of strong coffee. For me, you are the personified version of encyclopedia that keep on surprising me every time I open its pages, Matteo wrote, following his train of thought. I'm nobody, George hastily typed. Why do I live? Matteo asked. I don't know. George suddenly felt like shouting, Trust me, I don't. Give me a straight answer, Professor. Something like three times four is twelve, George responded. Is that the kind of answer you're looking for? Matteo reacted with an angry face emoji. Sorry, George wrote. I should go back home. To a ton? George asked. He knew Mateo's birthplace in the province of Iloilo, having passed it several times on his way to and from Igbaras. After sending a thumbs-up sticker, Mateo wrote, A hermit farmer away from stress. From science to illumination, George teased. Yin and Yang, Mateo wrote. What do you think? I don't believe in ready-made answers. They come and go, depending on the time of year and the weather. What's the purpose of life? I need to know, Matteo said. Follow your heart, your soul, or whatever. And feel lonely, Matteo asked. Always? What do you want? I don't know. If, if only I could see it in a dream. Be a man, Matteo. Are you mad at me, Professor? Only impatient, George replied. <laughs> Time to sleep. Good night. The next second, Mateo was offline. Feeding the animals, and later plowing a field or writing as your reason to get up in the morning. Could that be one answer to life's toughest questions? George wondered. 
Thank you for listening to this chapter of Goodbye Philippines. Here are some questions from the author, and here are some thoughts to ponder. 1. Do you listen to music on YouTube? Do you pay attention to the lyrics or just enjoy the music? Name your favorite Philippine singer or group. Do you like music from North America? What is it that you particularly like about it? 2. Were you surprised to hear about homeless people in the city of Vancouver? In your own town, are there individuals or families living on the streets? Do you talk to them or ignore them? 3. Have you ever confided things online that even your close friends don't know about you? Were you right in doing it? How do you know if an online contact is trustworthy? We'd love to hear from you. To share your thoughts and your answers to the questions, email charlesolavoie at gmail.com. Want to receive updates about future episodes of Goodbye Philippines? Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Also, feel free to share the link to this episode with your friends and on social media. If you love Goodbye Philippines, check out www.charlesolavoie.com for info on Charles's other published works. A link is provided in the description. Until next time.